Hey all you rad dads out there. What's up everybody, Rad Dad Brett here with another episode of the Rad Dad Show. Face to Face is one of the most well-known punk rock bands to come out of the 90s. And they're still cranking out new music today. In fact, they're coming up on their 30-year anniversary, so obviously I was stoked to have the chance to sit down with Face to Face's lead singer, Trevor Keith, father of two. But what makes this interview really cool and timely is that we really focused on Trevor's newest project, Icarus Daedalus, which is actually a duo. Who's the other half of the duo? Well, it's his son, Charles. So we think that's pretty rad. And it's a pretty significant departure from what you might expect from a punk rocker and his son. Using field recordings from their travels as a foundation for their songs, Trevor and Charles created an album of ambient music. I'm actually really digging it. Trevor and I discussed the creative process of working on the album with his son and reflected back on their relationship, starting from Charles sleeping in a playpen on the tour bus years ago to collaborating on projects together today. Trevor touched on some of those challenges he faced, trying to balance parenting with the need to be on tour with Face to Face and honed in on the importance of being accessible for your child, regardless of whether you can be physically present or not. Icarus Daedalus' album, Invisus, has been out on digital platforms since April, so make sure to go check that out right away. And then head over to the Antagonist Records website and pre-order your limited edition copy of the 180-gram vinyl. For now, sit back and enjoy Trevor Keith of Face to Face and Icarus Daedalus on The Rad Dad Show. Trevor, thanks for joining me on The Rad Dad Show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'm going to start the way we always start. Who are you? Who am I? Um, Wow, that's a very existential question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Is there a format for how to answer that? No, you know what? Uh, Like, how how would people know who you are? What do you do? Yeah. Uh, Professionally, I'm a a recording artist and musician. Uh, I play in a band called Face to Face, punk rock band. We've been together for just about 29 years, right on the verge of 30. Um, and I am foremost a father and a husband as well. And I guess, I guess that would probably be enough to define me. Sure. That gives us something to start with. (laughs) So, so you're a dad. So how many children do you have? Two children. Okay. Um, ages, names. Yeah. I might be on a little bit of the, the, far spectrum from maybe i don't know what your typical guest is and what the ages of their children are but yeah we um, have we have a range for sure okay my my son is 24 and my daughter is 20 uh just okay. about 21 so um you know i'm kind of on on the later spectrum of what a lot of people might consider uh parenting but the news flash is, and, and it's it's something that I hadn't really considered, is that um, it's a lifelong endeavor. You never really, you think it gets easier at some point. Like if, if you think the hardest part is waking up three o'clock in the morning and changing diapers and feeding at the beginning, um, that's a cakewalk compared to what <laughs> comes later. <laughs> but I, I mean, I would... I wouldn't change it for the world. I, I love my family dearly. Um, my wife and I have been married for, oh boy, we've been married long enough that I'm starting to forget anniversaries <laughs> and, uh, and, and over 30 years. And um, Congratulations. 
thanks. And, and our kids and our family is, is, uh, it's everything. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it is challenging the older your kids get and it, it doesn't go away with adulthood. There's not a magic wand at 18 yeah. where your kids just go, see ya, I'm going to go live my life. You know, you're still involved as a parent, which is awesome. Cause I feel like it's someday, maybe when I'm in my seventies or something, um, I might wish the kids needed me more, you know, so it's still yeah. good to be needed. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was just talking with somebody a couple of days ago who shared a statistic that was like, you're going to spend nine, like on average, 90% of your time that you spend with your kids is going to be before they're 18. And then the other 10% is after that. And so you're kind of at a, a stage where you've, you've just kind of passed that, that mark. Yeah. And people are branching out into their own, lives right right exactly and it's it's really great to see you know it's it's a very fulfilling time to see you know your kids start to come into their own and become young adults and start to establish their own um well you know as they finish their secondary education and starting to establish their own careers and all that kind of good stuff yeah so it kind of ties in nicely you know it's really cool that we're chatting about you know kids and parenting and that kind of stuff right now specifically because you have an interesting uh, project ongoing with your son right maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that and and you've got a kind of a important date coming up later this week yeah so you know as a I didn't really ever know what to expect as a parent I kind of um expected it would be my kids would act the way I did with mine where I didn't really like my parents' music, you know, I had my own thing and and all that. And, um, but my son kind of surprised me. Uh, and he, we actually have a lot of similar musical tastes and, um, both my son and daughter, um, we encouraged them and had them take private, uh, piano lessons when they were little guys, you know, around six or seven. And, uh, and, so they both have that training. And then my son wanted to go a little further with it and learned how to play guitar and got interested in songwriting and recording and all that kind of stuff as well. So, um, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago, he started going, Hey dad, you know, we should, we should do some kind of a project together. And, uh, you know, which totally surprised me and I thought it was super cool, but it also made me think a little bit too, like, okay, since this is like what people know me for, I don't want to, it's so easy to do like a a really corny version of that. And I think a lot of people, I'm not a very outwardly, uh, I'm not very outward with my personal life. Um, I'm all fine, you know, promoting the band and my music as much as possible with my personal life. I kind of play that a little closer to my chest. So, a little tricky thinking about maybe how to do that. Um, so I wanted to approach it as like a, an actual, you know, bona fide real music project, not like, Hey, I'm a guy in a band and I have a kid, so we're going to do stuff, you know? Uh, um, so we approached it as a, as a, as a actual real, you know, project and, and how, how uh, musician songwriters, recording artists would take an approach to that. Right. Um, I had to find common ground with the two of us first too, like, cause I'm sure he would have enjoyed doing a myriad. We were talking about doing like an eighties style Depeche mode band or cool. whatever. 
<laughs> which would have been fun too. I don't, I don't have the programming skills for that, but uh, I, I kind of, I figured if it was going to be something that would be potentially taken seriously, that we should do something so outside of the genre of punk rock that um, it wouldn't, you know, look like nepotism. Like, Hey, Charlie's, you know, joined the band now and he's going to yeah. <laughs> jump back there with the guitar. Um, so, so we kind of settled on this uh, electronic ambient kind of, kind of sound that we both like, you know, it's this music we both listen to on our own anyhow. And um, for me, it's challenging because it's, it's so far out of my wheelhouse. And, and right. for him, it's uh, it's music that he already enjoyed making. So we came together and just started writing a bunch of music for it. Um, settled on the name Icarus Daedalus, which I think is kind of self-explanatory. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and just started writing some songs. And over about a, a two-year period, we managed to put enough music together for a full album. It's been one of those things that... Uh, you know, I've been bugging the band about over the years, like we'll show up for a tour and I'll be like, Oh, check out this new song. Me and Charlie yeah. just did and make them listen to it on the bus or whatever. And they just kind of, yeah, okay, dude, cool. <laughs> um, but you know, now that, it, now that we finished it up, I think it's, it's a, it's a really great record. It's something I'm very proud of. And, and I know Charlie is too. Um, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're well-crafted, well-produced songs and um i think the album is really enjoyable to listen to and it's it's something that you know emotionally sonically it's it's not aggressive it's very it's more meant to be like a relaxing kind of chill sort of sort of experience so um we got that together we did a digital release of it earlier this year and now um we have uh, a video that we collaborated with a, a friend of mine who's uh, Brazilian, who's a, a illustrator, works for some different uh, comic book companies and stuff. And uh, he he just he agreed to make a, a video for us uh, for a single that I think the video is supposed to premiere on this Friday, as well as we've made a limited edition run of about a hundred copies only, very limited of right. uh, collectible 180 gram vinyl uh, to kind of commemorate the album this year. So the video and the vinyl are both, the, vi- the vinyl ships Friday and the video will be available Friday. I'm not sure what outlet yet it might premiere on, but um, since I'm a little early on it, you can definitely watch it at our YouTube channel, which is Icarus Daedalus YouTube. Easy enough to find. Yeah. Cool. So I'm, yeah, like, obviously that's, you know, a a really unique um, thing. And I think a lot of maybe, you know, face-to-face fans, Trevor Keith fans probably were or are a little bit, you know, surprised to see a project like this, you know, come out of you. Maybe it's just, you know, kind of unexpected. Um, And so I'm curious, like you kind of talked about its music, you know, that kind of ambient type of style, that's kind of music you're interested in, your son's interested in. Did some of that sort of come from your son or was that just sort of organic that you both were kind of into that? Like, tell me about that kind of process of, of landing on that. Oh, I might've steered that a little bit more um, okay. because I was already into a lot of ambient music. Um, one of my favorite artists is Chihei Hatakayama. I'm probably pronouncing it completely wrong. He's a Japanese ambient artist that okay. you was know, just amazing that I listen to all the time and have been. 
but I became interested in, in the beginnings of ambient music and um, the early time, Brian Eno's stuff in yep. music for airports. And uh, I'm sorry, that's not Brian Eno. It's the other guy. <laughs> anyway, um, it's, you know, it's, it's a thing I've have been interested in for quite a while and music I've been listening to. So, um, it's something I wanted to see if I was capable of doing for starters. It is Brian Eno there. I'm not an idiot. I said, <laughs> I, said I said, Brian Eno and I questioning yourself. Felt the, the panic yeah. of being on a podcast and quoting the wrong artist. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we can edit this later. <laughs> <laughs> that's considered the first, uh, uh, ambient record and that got me interested in ambient music and then I've just kind of gone from there I know Charlie um, is interested in he likes like 80s um, not cheesy 80s music but you know the cool stuff like the Cure and the Smiths and yep. and um, and he likes those kind of soundscapes that are a little bit you know it, it takes more instrumentation and, and programming and production than just like a standard rock band so right. we really liked getting into some of the, you know, synthesizers and filtering and, and some of that kind of production, you know, using soft synths and, and actually using the, the DAW to um, produce and, and make the music as well by adding a bunch of plugins and effects yeah. and stuff to the sounds. And for me, um, having already established, you know, a, a musical career, I wanted the challenge of making music that had number one, you know, no vocal, no melody, no lyrics, and still make it compelling and yeah. interesting to listen to. So, um, you know, definitely a challenge for me. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to kind of really tread some new territory. And then for Charlie with his really being his first foray into something that is, um, you know, like a, a bone making an actual record album for release to the public. Yeah. Um, it was a learning experience for him too. So um, one of the things that we did also do, but I think was a fun part of the production because you can really get out into the weeds when creatively um, when you are, are making records these days, especially with everything that's available to you. Um, from the digital audio workstations, all the plugins that you have, all the soft instruments, like the the possibilities and options are almost limitless. So it's yeah, good sometimes well. to set these limits within your creative parameters as you're making music. So we came up with this idea of using field recordings in each of the songs. And that field recording then kind of gave us a direction to move in you know, dictated a rhythm or a sound texture or something for us to move into. So um, I collected some field recordings uh, from traveling, you know, um, and then Charlie and I have done a bunch of traveling together that we also collected field recordings from. And they can be, one of them is just radio static from an AM radio. Another one was we were in an airport together, I believe it was in Atlanta. And right as we went through security, there was this turnstile door that was kind of broken and, yep. and, and uh, it was taped off and you couldn't go through it, but it was still moving for whatever reason. It was making this weird, like, kind of motiony, squeaky sound as it went by. And I was like, that would be a great field recording. So we, uh, you know, we grabbed some different things like that. So each, uh, and one of them actually was a conference. Now, this is kind of an interesting little insider thing if you're watching the video premiere this Friday. Okay. Uh, 
that field recording was a conference for, um, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's like a skeptic type society okay. that Charlie and I attended and we recorded a little bit of the speakers, okay. um, and uncredited. And uh, so, but we, we liked the talk and, and so we used some of that dialogue in there and, but it was a true field recording as we were sitting in the audience, you know, listening to the speakers. Um, so that was kind of a fun, you know, fun uh, parameter to set right. in order to let the album kind of have a path that we would steer down creatively. And that so kind of puts just you, I imagine, puts you in a bit of a moment, too, when you're kind of creating that, like you're kind of remembering where that's coming from as well. Yeah, yeah. And it makes it a bit more personal in that regard, because it's like a, a, a memory or a snapshot of, of time, and then we create the music around it. Right. So what does that process look like you guys creating? Like, is that happening at home? Um, like kind of sitting in a room collaborating at home or, or how does that work? Yeah, this was all done in home studios. Um, I have my, I have my setup that, that I've had for years that I keep trying to improve upon. Um, and then Charlie, we, uh, we kind of set him up with some basic things and now he's sort of set up his own home studio as well. So he's got, you know, a nice big full size keyboard, a full range of soft synths and pianos and all that good stuff, some good monitors. Um, he was working mainly in GarageBand where I, I've been working in uh, Mixbus 32C. So it wasn't always easy to migrate the music yeah. over, but there are, you know, there are ways of, of doing that. It was a little bit of a challenge to figure that out. Some of it was done independent of one another, and then we would get together and, you know, compare notes cool. and play music for each other. But um, much of it was done sitting in the same room. Um, and it, it was made kind of as a layering process. So we'd start with one sound or field recording sound. Sometimes the field recording got laid in after, sometimes yeah. it was the basis. But, uh, you know, we'd start with a sound and then we just would do a layering process. Like, oh, you know what might be cool? Let's put a guitar here. So I throw a guitar. Sometimes, you know, I would act as producer and give him the guitar yeah. and let him play the part that he wrote as I'm setting up all the sounds and, you know, twisting knobs and coming up with cool effects and things to run off of that. So um, I would say that was the bulk of the process was the collaborative process in the room of, of making the music together. Cool. Yeah. And it, it's interesting, like for me listening um, to the final product, I saw online as I've read through some articles and stuff like that, like you guys have kind of described it as having kind of this outer spacey kind of feel. And that's so like the first, that was my first thought hearing it too yeah so did that did that happen organically or was that sort of uh, like were you trying to do that it really or? did and you know i've been trying to put this ambient label on the album but strictly speaking it's probably not the best example of ambient genre um mainly because i, I believe when it was defined <laughs> by i think brian eno uh, himself said it is that ambient music shouldn't be something that has any element that captures your attention. It should be completely in the background. It should be something that you almost barely notice that's there. And uh, I just, I, I couldn't fight my instincts to yeah. want to put things in the songs that were catchy. And I don't think Charlie could either. So we ended up writing melodies and lines that end up being kind of catchy. Yep. Um, so I think how we got a, 
away from that attention grabber is through repetition. So I tried to repeat those things over and over again. So they become more like a drone and that's supposed to kind of create that, that uh, soothing, almost relaxed element. I hope there are some elements in it that are a bit jarring. Um, So we might have to, you know, to be a little bit more strict with it, it maybe should be called electro drone. Um, but I like the ambient term as well, you know, and, and this isn't going to be our only album. We're already writing new material as well. So this is an ongoing project and this is just really our, our debut, you know, Yeah. and we're open minded to letting the process kind of take us in some different creative directions. It's not, so rooted in in any one particular element for the first album we like the element of field recordings i don't know if that will be something that's ongoing as we continue to make new music but it was a it was a fun thing to set for the first record and so and you know maybe i'm getting ahead of myself here but I, like are you guys already talking about you know more material you're already working on stuff i imagine yeah, we already have a song, uh, a new song that we've um, been working on for a little while. Um, I don't think we're going to bother releasing it until we've completely, you know, promoted the record and the right. video that we're working on now. So maybe early next year sometime we'll release a, a single. Um, I feel like the album format is a little bit difficult to navigate these days because the streaming platforms have really kind of shifted the paradigm. Yeah. Um, so it looks like I, Charlie and I have been talking about it. I think we're going to try to maybe go more singles instead yeah. of full albums. Cause they're just easier to promote. It's, it's easier to try to get playlisted and that. Yeah, exactly. Get so, on a playlist. That's yeah. Yeah. The different world, right. I, I you know, I, I guess in punk rock, I feel like I'm, big punk rock guy. And so I feel like there's still a real um, kind of album thing there. Like, I don't think there's a ton of bands moving away from albums there, but you are even starting to see it. And yeah, with, I mean, with rock music in general, it's sort of hard to do. Uh, people are just so, so um, used to getting a full album, you know, and right. that full collection and, and, and um, kind of cohesive thought behind what puts a whole album together. Singles feel a little bubblegum and throwaway and punk rock has more of a heavy and rock music in general, it's, unless it's jokey, it has more of a weight to it that feels like it should be a full, full album, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I can, uh, we haven't talked about face to face at all, which I appreciate, but um, I'll give you a, a little tidbit uh, we did finish a new album uh, this year. Um, we're currently now looking at getting it mastered, and hopefully we'll have that released sometime next year, maybe spring, summer. Awesome. Um, even though it's finished, we've decided we want to wait until we're able to actually go back out on tour, and it's when everyone's decided it's safe for fans and the bands to do it. Um, and we'd rather just have that album uh, out while we can also tour to support it because I feel like right now there's just there's just way too much competition. Everyone's putting records out, you know, right? Um, which is fine, but uh, we have the ability to wait. So I think that's we've decided that we'll we'll do that. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting I've phenomenon. Heard. Yeah, of- it's a good time to focus on other things. I think it's a great time to talk about different projects like Icarus Daedalus. You yeah. Know, 
uh, a good time for for that kind of stuff as well. So um, yeah, it's been it's been really great working with my son on on something that is you know not just a, a hobby or a craft project we did at home, which is also yeah. fantastic. But there's a whole next level element to like, you know, we actually have a band. Well, I don't yeah. know if you call it a band, but we're a duo. Yeah. And, um, and to be able to release tangible product that's, you know, for sale and that people are actually, um, you know, enjoying as consumers and, and music lovers, um, that's that's super cool. It's it's way beyond. Like I said, just like, I mean, making a project in the backyard is awesome too. But this is yeah. just this is like next level stuff. So it's very rewarding and it, it feels great. Well, we talk with uh, you know a lot of dads, and and you kind of mentioned um, you know your kids are maybe on the older end of the spectrum. We talk to some grandparents and stuff like that too. Oh, and so, I bet. So we'll, you know, kind of get the whole range. But one thing that's really interesting with musicians, inevitably you end up kind of talking about, you know, do your kids play music? Are they interested in music? And and a lot, it's funny because a lot of, um, like a common thread, a lot of musicians will say, well, yeah, like, I, you know, try to get my kid to play guitar or like, you know, get interested in what, what I am playing or the music I like. And, you know, sometimes it's hard. It's pulling kind of like pulling teeth. And I, I have little kids, so I, I'll sometimes be like, oh, you know, come on, at least like my five-year-old, like, let's listen to this. Let's listen to the Ramones. And she's like, ah, oh, whatever. Like, I don't, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and you kind of feel like you have to force it, but that must be a really cool feeling as a dad to have a project with your son where th- this isn't like you pulling him along. It's, this is a collaborative thing. He's interested and you guys are doing it together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said, as a, as a son, I, I would expect, I never expected him to be interested to want to play music with me. I figured he would think that, you know, it's not cool or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was pleasantly surprising that he wanted to. And my daughter, um, she's polar opposite. Music doesn't really interest her in terms of a creative outlet. You know, she's creative in other ways. She's more of a visual artist. Okay. Um, but uh, which is great, but I, have no ability to do visual art so i appreciate it and i think she's she's great with her visual art it's fantastic but but yeah my son went more with the audio side and my daughter more with the video side cool or or visual not not necessarily video but paintings and embroidery and different things like that right so this is the rad dad show do you consider yourself a rad dad you know i don't i don't know if i I think you can only be a rad dad if others consider you to be, I suppose. Right. So Um, I try my best. I've, I've, it's not easy being a musician and uh, you know, God knows I've spent plenty of time away from the family. So I have to give most of the credit to my wife um, because she really stepped in and really uh, took care of the family for all of those times that I was gone on tour. I was fulfilling a role too. Um, luckily, you know, and stoked for me that I get to, I got to go out and earn money and contribute to the family in that way by doing something that was super fun. Most people yeah. don't get to do that, but, uh, but yeah, my wife deserves more of the credit than I do by far. I mean, I, I have a role as well. Um, and I, I try to be there for my kids and I try to give them good advice and, 
And uh, it feels like in some ways my role has become more important the older that they've gotten too, you know. So um, it's, you know, we each have our, we each have our roles to play in, in the family. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, I probably give a rad mom status before I give a rad <laughs> dad, but I'll accept it. If people... So, so <laughs> if maybe let me flip the question a little bit. Well, if I asked you to define what's a rad dad and you're kind of looking outward, like what would those characteristics be to you? Well, I, you know, it's someone that, that definitely goes beyond just, uh, you know, providing, providing is a, the basic thing. If you, if you get your, if you plan to have a kid and you can do it that way, more power to you. A lot of people aren't able to plan and it kind of sneaks up on them or it just yeah. happens. But once that responsibility is laid upon you, you've got a bigger responsibility than just simply providing. And I think it's, it's important for dads to also uh, teach and be there emotionally for their children and to, um, and to provide support, you know, in addition to just bringing home half the paycheck or all of it or whatever your family situation might possibly be. Um, you know, it's, it's important to, to uh, really just to be there, you know, to be accessible. Right. So that, that's an interesting point, right? And kind of, a, I guess, something I'm kind of pulling out as, as a crucial kind of piece is that accessibility, right? Like not, because you, you describe like you're on tour a lot, you're away a lot. That, I, I don't think that necessarily, you know, means because you're not present physically all the time. Yeah. You know, that, that you can't be that um, accessible dad. Um, and, and every family is different. You, you know, you, you, you know, talk to truck drivers, like their job, they're away a lot. Right. Um, so there's ways to do it. And, um, yeah, so it's always interesting hearing that perspective today, especially, um, there's more ways to, to be in touch than ever. Obviously I'm thinking of my own personal experience, the most times, uh, you know, the years I spent the most on tour were prior to the smartphone. So (laughs) that's when I, clocked in a lot of my traveling hours, you know, the, the late nineties, yeah, uh, mid late nineties. So, um, and those were formative times, you know, for, for both of my kids. Um, they were little guys. uh, You know, my daughter actually didn't come until the very end of the nineties, but, um, and you know, it continued for a while. It was nice when we, the band did have a bit of a hiatus and I was able to be home a lot more, but but you, you raise a good point. Being there in person isn't necessarily the same thing as being available, you know? And uh, I think that's far more important than just occupying space. Is that truly being there to provide support and advice and, you know, caring. So how did you manage that during those kind of touring years? And, and maybe you can talk a little bit about how it's evolved over time. You know, your Yeah. So in our household, we were, we decided that um, we we did something kind of traditional um, and my wife wanted to stay home with the kids when they were young, when they were very little and take care of them at least in, through school age and then through school age as well, provide, provide that support, be there, make them breakfast and lunch when they get up in the morning, pick them up from school, take them to all their after school activities, all that kind of good stuff. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, they had a very traditional upbringing. Um, 
but I wasn't physically there for, for quite a bit of it because of the travel. So how we combated that, because we didn't really have the ability to video chat or Zoom like we're doing now or FaceTime or any of those things. So um, we tried to never let more than about two weeks go by without physically seeing each other. Okay. So when Charlie was young, there was a playpen in the back lounge of the bus and uh, he'd be out with us on tour for three, five days, you know, and then that's about as much as they could take. And I think <laughs> as the band could with having a little baby out there and then they'd fly back. And then another two weeks or so would pass and we'd visit again. And we just tried to route our tours in such a way or, you know, that we didn't stay out, you know, for six, eight months at a time. The tours right. typically would go, I mean, I don't know if we ever spent maybe more than two straight months on a tour and then there'd be a week off at home right. or two weeks off and then back out. So you add them all up. We toured for the self-titled record for about two years straight, but that never meant two years in a row, maybe at the most 60, 70 days of a tour. Then you get a week or two month off, then you're back out kind of thing. So you're leapfrogging. So, you know, we, yeah, the, the kids came out with us and there's, we have photo albums full of pictures of us playing and the kids with yeah. the big giant shooting, you know, shooting range headphones on yeah. and uh, some hilarious ones of my daughter when she's like two, three years old and she's just passed out. Yeah. Funny on the side of the stage, sleeping on a road case with these big giant things on like how, you know, only kids could sleep through something like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and they're so, they're so resilient and adaptable, right? Like they just, yeah, that's just, that's what it is for them. They, they figure it out. Exactly. Exactly. So they, they definitely adapt to travel. I think what it did for my son is it, it it's funny, you know, it made him want more, more structure and he, he liked going on tour. If you ask him about it now, he'll say one of the best places ever is the, the bunk on the bus. And he has memories of getting in his bunk and closing the curtain and playing Game Boy, you know, yeah. and having the cold air conditioning blow on him when it's super hot outside on the warp tour or whatever. Yeah. And so he still has fond memories of doing that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, he, he, unlike my daughter, wants more of a traditional you know, schedule and timeline. And, you know, this is when I go to bed, this is when I get up and all that. And I just, I haven't done that because my entire adult life, I've been lucky enough to tour, which is a schedule too, but a completely different one. You know, you're up at 10 or 11 and then you sound check and then you do the show and you're up till three o'clock in the morning. So um, very different, very different timeline. Yeah. So what, what are the most rewarding aspects of, of being a dad? Seeing your children, uh, seeing your children happy, you know, seeing them, it's, it, it rips your heart out when they go through things that are challenging, when they're upset, um, when they have difficulties, but the, you know, it's super rewarding when they have good things happen for them as well. When they, you know, uh, you know, graduate from school or complete, uh, you know, do something really good in sports that, you know, achieve some kind of championship or whatever. Both of my kids played uh, sports, mostly baseball and softball. My daughter played soccer for a little while. 
Nice. You know, seeing them happy and fulfilled by achieving their own goals is is uh, probably the most rewarding thing. And I'm not there yet, but um, I have a suspicion that when my kids are ready to have kids, that's going to be a pretty crazy one too. And and it's probably going to be pretty cool to once I can accept being old enough to be a grandparent because I'm probably there. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to having little guys around again because yeah, it only happens for a brief amount of time and then it's gone, you know? Yeah. The, the, you know, a couple of times we've talked to grandparents on this show. I mean, they kind of describe this totally different thing than the relationship they have with their kids. Right. And I mean, I see it even with my kids and their grandparents, like that relationship is so interesting. So. Sure. Well, you get to have all the fun without any of the, uh, any of the responsibility. Yeah. You just tap out. <laughs> I'm out of here. We got to go home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so how did fatherhood change you? Do you think? Uh, completely and totally. Um, and I wasn't ready for it. I, I had no idea what that feeling would be like, but the, 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 the day that my son was born, my, higher perspective on life changed and it's not to say that i i wasn't still selfish and i'm sure i still am to some degree it's something we all have to struggle with you yeah. know on some level but my entire perspective on life changed because no longer was i i didn't feel like it was just me that i had to worry about or my wife and i um all of a sudden you know we had something larger than us that we wanted to care for and nurture and, and, and defend you know, at, yeah. at any cost. And that it just feels uh, really fulfilling in a way, you know, um, not in a way that I'd even expected because I was 27 when my son was born and in my perfect world, which no one ever gets to live. I, uh, I was like, I, I want to be 30, you know, 30 is yeah. my golden age for, uh, then, then we'll talk about kids. Yeah. And it just happened a little bit sooner, but when it did, uh, it was just, I don't know. I have difficulty putting it into words, but it, it just completely changed. It changed my perspective, at least on, on life and, and what is important and what doesn't matter so much. In life. Yeah. It almost like when you, <laughs> you talk to other people about it, who maybe they don't have kids, you kind of try and describe what that feeling is. It is really hard to describe, right? It's almost like a, a, a new purpose for your life or something. Yeah. Like and that, people right? will joke, you know, yeah. they'll be like, Oh, well, my dog is the most important thing to me and my cat. And, yeah, and sure. You know, you have super strong connections with pets. Of course, it's great. But I don't know. There's something about that biological connection to something that is, you know, an, an offspring of yours. Yeah, yeah. There, there is something there. I, I don't know that anybody has really figured out what that is yet. But there, <laughs> there's, there's something, right? It's like a connection that you can't quantify. Yeah, it's part of, I mean, it, it's, it is something bigger than you. It's nature. Yeah. It's something that is, uh, uh, part of, uh, it's just something that's ingrained in us through, um, DNA or something. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you kind of mentioned Trevor that, um, your son had sort of 
come into your life a little bit unexpectedly or, you know, not on, on the schedule you had originally envisioned. So, um, you know, 27 years old, I saw my first daughter when I was 30. Um, and I, so I know, you know, what, what that feels like as a young man, uh, having a child, um, were you afraid at all? Like, did you have any fears about becoming a dad? Um, I don't think so. I wasn't, no, I don't think it, it, it made me afraid it because I was very wrapped up in what the band was doing at the time. This was 96 when we, um, we hadn't quite yet finished. It was at the he was born in April. So the beginning of 96 ish, um, we were about to go and start recording our self-titled record. Right. And, um, I, I didn't know it at the time, but we were kind of on this real kind of upward climb where we were becoming well-known after this obscurity of the garage. You know, those were, that was a real formative time for face-to-face. So yeah. I had two big kind of life-changing things happening at once. I mean, the biggest one was becoming a father, but then at the same time, my career was also kind of taking this kind of, so yep. And, and, and it would continue to happen throughout that year of 96. And like I said, that became the record we toured on the most. We toured almost two years straight. So um, it was a lot to happen all at once, you know. Um, I think I was afraid it might keep me from uh, possibly becoming successful because I was really focused on my work at the time. But I didn't – I had no fear of it because um, – my wife was so accommodating and, and cool and willing to just go, well, we'll just bring him with us. You know, you yeah. can, he's a baby. He'll, he'll <laughs> adapt. So take that tour. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And, you know, when we just kind of made it work. Were you, um, were you like the first in, in the band to have a child? I was. Yeah. And so how did, how did the band see that? I'm curious. <laughs> they were probably afraid of the same thing, right? Well, Scott, um, Scott had joined the band while my wife was still pregnant. So he was, he was ready for it. You know, he kind of knew what was coming. Um, I don't think, you know, honestly, I don't really know. I don't know if it bothered Rob. Uh, Rob was our drummer at the time. Um, Chad was in the band at the time and, uh, Chad's son would be born only maybe, you know, a couple of years after that. So, um, uh, we were all kind of getting to that age where if you had a relationship, you know, if you were married or had a long-term serious relationship, that's kind of around the time that, that the kids start to. It's in the in, back of your mind, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, are, are you, Trevor, are you able to share like what your relationship was like with your dad? Sure. Yeah. Um, my dad is still living, which is great. Um, I hope he continues to for a long time. Yeah. Um, my dad and I, I'm the firstborn in my family. Okay. So uh, my parents had me pretty young, far younger than when I started having kids. Um, but my mom and dad got married young too. And I came within the first year. Um, my dad is also a musician and he okay. wasn't, he was a traveling musician at the time that, I was born and while I was still pretty young, but they did uh, long engagements. So uh, actually some in Canada. 
um, his band would go and, and like hole up in a single city for like okay. six weeks and they would play an engagement at a venue and, you know, they were like a club band. So that became pretty strained for them early on. And he quit doing the traveling aspect of it and then just played music kind of on the weekends or on, on the side okay. while he also worked to provide for the, for the family. So I thought that was a really cool, you know, responsible thing that, that he decided to do. He never quit being a musician and always played. He still continues to play music. Um, what right does he now. play? Uh, he plays bass um, and, and drums and a little bit of guitar, but I think mostly oh. he's a singer. That's probably his strongest suit. He's a fantastic singer. Um, I'm not nearly as good or have any of the natural ability that he has. I, I came to singing kind of by accident. It wasn't ever really my first thought of what I would do musically. Um, I thought I would probably, uh, you know, play piano or something. And then I transitioned to guitar and then I started singing. So um, probably, you know, and I'm definitely, well, the singing thing may be inspired by my dad to some degree. Absolutely becoming a musician was inspired by seeing that in my household and being around music so much and having my dad be a musician and, and be a part of that. And um, I think we, you know, growing up as kids, we had a, a very tight knit family. I had a good relationship with my dad. I still do continue to have a good relationship. Um, they were young parents and very devoted to us kids, pretty traditional household. Um, not unlike the one we ended up doing in ours where my dad worked, but my mom stayed home with the kids and uh, so, yeah, we had a we had a good, pretty tight knit childhood family situation. When we all got a little older. We kind of got a little wild, scattered a little bit, sure. but um, but we're still close. Cool. I just we just had Thanksgiving with my parents, and I I see them regularly, and you know, nice all that good stuff. And do you think you're you're dad's approach to parenting has affected the way you approach parenting certainly the music thing you know has obviously it's you know worked its way through the generations in your family but yeah I think my dad's been a fantastic example for me as a father because he without ever having to tell me just through his own actions um instilled a sense of responsibility and and um uh I don't know what, what else I would say besides responsibility, <laughs> but uh, I watched his example of how he cared for the family, how he, you know, constantly provided and he was there and he turned down the opportunity to travel and, and, um, and, and play music the way that he could have done because he wanted to make the commitment to raising me and my brother and later my sister and, and um, take care of our family. So it was hugely inspirational without ever saying a word. Right. So is that that feeling like you talked about earlier, that accessibility of the parent and yeah. that, the support just kind of being there when, when you need it. Yes. And, and that was sort of part of that for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, I, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, Trevor, we do this, uh, this you haven't already <laughs> <laughs> more than before. Um, we, uh, we do this feature called the rad dad, bad dad feature. And what, what we kind of like to do is 
get you to, if, you know, whatever sort of comes to mind first, describe a moment that was kind of like a blue ribbon dad moment. Um, that's that rad dad moment. And then the, the bad dad part being, you know, a situation that happened where it was like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Or, you know, um, yeah, I don't know if anything sort of comes to mind for either mm-hmm. of those. Often, often those, ba- those bad dad moments, they pop right into your mind because they're so poignant. Yeah, well, sure. No one's perfect. And I, I have not been perfect throughout my parenting career so far. Um, I'm, I'm pretty mellow. I don't typically lose my temper. I don't, I don't yell a lot at the kids. Um, Charlie being the first and being a boy, you know, there was a little corporal punishment. He'd get a hand smack or something, but we never spanked the kids. I never went near my daughter, not even a smack on the hand as a toddler or anything like that. But occasionally, you know, since I am pretty even tempered, it's like a pressure cooker. And sometimes I got to let off a little bit of that steam. So, um, you know, I've had moments where I've, I've done that. We yelled and screamed and said some things I didn't mean simply just because I lost my temper. I can't think of anything in particular, but you know, yeah, that push, push you into the red. There's been a few, you know, there's been a half, there's been a half a dozen over the years. Um, that, that, that's a, I think that's an interesting one to point out actually. Like it, it kind of seems like we don't like to talk about that. You know, those times you kind of fly off the handle, but almost invariably, almost everybody we talk to kind of describes those moments as being like those real feel bad moments. Like you, you just lose your cool yell at your kid for whatever. Usually it's something stupid and then it happens. And then you can't take it back. Yeah. That's what you feel the worst about. And, and um, for whatever reason you give into a, a losing your temper and you know, once it's out there, you, you can't really take it back. Even if you didn't mean what you said. You know, so that's, those aren't the best moments. Um, I would say my, my best, I feels like I've had some of my best and worst moments connected with sports okay. <laughs> and the kids. Cause I did a little coaching, um, both for my son and daughter in baseball and softball. So, you know, you get put in a position there where you have to not only be a parent, but then you want to set an example so the team you don't undermine right. your authority with the team and show any favoritism toward right. your your kid if they're messing up, which they do. Yeah. So um, my son was uh, catching in a game once, and he wasn't taking my signs, and I had to pull him out of a game. So I don't know if that was my worst or best moment. It was one of those tough decisions that I had yeah. to make because. I didn't want people, I didn't want all the other parents and the kids and everyone watching me to think that I was giving him special treatment because he clearly needed right. to be out of the game. But at the same time, I didn't want him to be bummed on me because I pulled him out of the game, you know, so sports can put you in those situations. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I imagine a, a real rad dad moment is almost just, you know, what's happening with this record right now, like seeing what your son's been able to accomplish as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And thank you for tying that back in to the point of this. <laughs> yeah. We are promoting an album after right, all. Right, right. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so I guess, you know, at this point, maybe lay it out for us. Like, where can we find this album? Where do people get it? Um, where 
Where can they stream it? What, what else is going on with you over the next little while that you want to tell us about? Okay, sure. Um, the record's called, or we're called Icarus Daedalus. The album's called Invesis. Um, you can find it on all of the streaming outlets, Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora. You know, it's available now, uh, streaming on all of those. We have a Bandcamp page. Um, we have an Instagram page and a YouTube channel. So you can, you can just look for either Icarus Daedalus official or Icarus backslash Daedalus spelled in the traditional way of mythology. Cool. Um, it, so what we, what we're doing now though, since the album came out digitally in April is we were announcing this release of our very limited edition vinyl. It's a hundred copies of vinyl. Right now, you can pre-order that, and it's it's shipping on Friday the 18th, but you can pre-order now at IamTheAntagonist.com, which is my record label web store that I run. Um, and there's only about 80 or so left. Um, okay. So if you're interested, there there's not a whole lot of them, and they'll probably go pretty quick once we start doing more press and talking about it. So get over there at IamTheAntagonist.com. And then also you can premiere our new music video, which is for the song Ortu Solis. And that will also be available at our YouTube channel, which is Icarus Daedalus Official. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll, you know, we'll put links to all of that in our, our episode notes as well and, and anything awesome. that we release. Um, yeah, don't, don't wait until this album's only available on Discogs. Go pre-order it now, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So get it for now. Sure. Um, any, any words of wisdom for dads out there, Trevor, um, maybe current dads, maybe dads to be. Yeah, I know. Um, not every situation is perfect with your, uh, relationship with, with your, with your kid's mom. And I would just encourage anyone that might be in a trickier situation like that. Don't let that get in the way of being close to your children, you know, um, and for those people that are in a situation that's easy with mom, don't let yourself become one of those uh, distant uh, fathers that doesn't communicate and, and be available. I think those are the best two things you can do is just be there, show up, listen to your kids, help them with whatever issues they have, or just be there to hang out and have fun. Right. So, yeah, getting back to that accessibility again. For sure. Well, Trevor, thank you so much. This has been really, really great chatting with you. I'm super stoked uh, for your release on Friday. Um, I've been really enjoying listening to it over the last couple of weeks. I, I, I missed it uh, when it came out in April. So I, I was surprised to, to actually find it. wasn't much fanfare. That's why we're here now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I'd encourage anybody listening to go check it out. Um, it's awesome. Um, you know, sounds like we might have some new face-to-face uh, down the road at some point as well. You guys just had, we didn't talk about it, but your Triple Crown uh, yes. event as well, which I don't know, is that still streaming for people to watch or? No, it's no longer available, but okay. we'll, we'll do it again next year at Thanksgiving. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, um, again, thanks so much for your time today, Trevor. It was really great chatting with you. And uh, yeah, best of luck with the, the release on Friday and the, the video and everything. And take care as we head into the holidays. Hope you guys stay well. Have a good one. All right. That was Trevor Keith on the Rad Dads Show. Don't forget to head over to the Antagonist Records website, IamTheAntagonist.com 
and pre-order your limited edition 180 gram vinyl release of Invisus, which comes out this Friday. Thanks so much to Trevor for joining us. If you're looking for more Rad Dads content, find us on Apple Podcasts or on social media. On Instagram, you can find us at at rad underscore dads underscore show and on Facebook at at rad dads show. And now you can also look us up on YouTube for some video interviews as well, including this one. Lastly, Rad Dads started as a community organization and you can check out what we do over at raddadsyeg.com. That's raddadsyeg.com. Thanks for tuning in. In the meantime and in between time, stay rad.